So uh, the, the series is called Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity. So it should say in parentheses GCF 19, that is 2019 and 2020 version. I will be done before 2020 is over. Uh, in the opening uh, message, we sometimes add emphasis zero to the message because the rest of them are going to be emphasis one, two, three, all the way to 15. And uh, the opening message is called Rediscovering and Restoring His Pattern. And in parentheses, I've given you an alternate word because I like to use synonyms to just make us think about the word a little bit more actively. So, we're, uh, so for rediscovering, uh, I have the alternate word rethinking because we need to do uh, a restudy, a reexamination, a rethinking of the, our current cultural Christianity. If you study church history, Every uh, age of the church, and certainly every movement of God, has uh, points that are endearing to it, points that are good and wholesome and, and uh, were on God's mind and God's heart and are clearly discernible as scriptural. And then you have uh, some, some points that are not so much. And there's, Jesus actually tells a parable of the sower sowing good seed, and the enemy sowing tares in the good seed. And uh, most, most of the people interpret that parable as the fact that there's always gonna be both uh, the godly and the ungodly, even in the church. Uh, you'll, you know, the, the subject of false conversion is, is a major subject that's been, that's been addressed uh, in both Testaments and throughout church history. There's lots of books you can read on what constitutes true and false conversion. And it's something you ought to think about once in a while. Look at your own conversion. Look at your own, um, uh, you know, what, what we deal a lot with, I think, is not just false conversions, but what, you know, a major theme of, of Grace Christian Fellowship is relook at the gospel in terms of incomplete conversions. There's a lot of people who've been told that because you asked Jesus into your heart at some point, uh, that you're a Christian, and there's a lot more to whether you're a Christian or not. And so um, that's uh, something you might want to consider. So in this series, we start by talking about what the fact that there are patterns or models or example in the Scripture of everything. Uh, there's patterns of marriage. There's patterns of uh, raising a family. And there's uh, one of the things that Bible-believing Christianity has done is it's applied the scriptures uh, increasingly since around 1830 to 1870. The scriptures in Western culture have uh, been reduced to a less complete gospel. But also they've been reduced in that the scriptures are applied... Um, in incomplete ways and reduced ways to a lot of other subjects. Like, you know, the average Christian has probably never uh, thought much about a biblical view of economics or a biblical view of uh, what is the church, a biblical view of business, and so forth. So um, we've reduced the message uh, of the gospel itself but in, we've also reduced the number of things we're applying Scripture to. Uh, 
if that makes sense. And so what we're trying to do in this series is relook at 15 major emphases uh, to examine whether our thinking is actually as biblical as we think. I would say that our, that our current evangelical subculture uh, in terms of the history of the church is likely the, the, the movement that has given the most lip service to following the scriptures while in fact following the scriptures the least. Now some of that is because of paradigms. A paradigm is, is a set of shared ways of looking at things in some kind of academic community. And evangelicalism is an academic community on one, one level. Now you might argue, you know, some, some people might be less generous and say that because there's not as much emphasis on biblical thinking and studying today, uh, they might be a little sarcastic and say, gee, it's not really that an academic community. But the truth of the matter is every community of people has ways of thinking about all sorts of subjects. There's, you know, there's, you know, a way of thinking about science that almost all Western people share today. There's a way of thinking about economics. If you go to Wright State Campus or any other secular university, 95% of the economists on campus follow the thinking of John Maynard Keynes, and uh, which is a very unbiblical way of thinking about economics and so forth. So uh, anyway, that's enough interdiction to the 1030 uh, because it's actually supposed to be point B and we're picking it up in the middle. If you flip the page, right under the last point of Roman numeral two, we must rediscover and restore, I list the 15 biblical emphasis. And what I'm gonna try to do in the little over 30 minutes, so that it only gives me about two minutes per emphasis, is I'm gonna try to give us just a quick summary of what you're what to be looking forward to over the next year. So the first thing that we look at would not have been the first thing on my list in my early Christian years. I would have thought gone immediately to our approach to scripture, our approach to the Holy Spirit, and our approach to the church. Of course, if you've been around here very long, you know that we call those the three delivery systems of grace and they're very akin to an, um, an old Re Reformation and Puritan concept called the means of grace. Uh, some have called them the tools of grace. I like to call them the delivery systems of grace. And all grace comes through Jesus Christ, and it's more than being accepted. It's being empowered to do what we're called to do, and we're called to change the whole world. Nothing less. So... Um, but the truth is, uh, the reason I've, you know, over the years moved loving God to number one is because I think the scriptures do that. I think the truth is what God most wants is a relationship with his creatures. And he doesn't want to beat you up for your sins. He doesn't want uh, you to grovel and convince him that you're really repentant by the proper, uh, you know, like a lot of people have this approach after you sin, I have to grovel a certain amount till I prove to God and to myself that I'm actually serious about repenting. And the truth of the matter is what, how you know if you're serious about repenting is if you bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. 
And the first thing I'd say there is, are you taking some practical steps? It's amazing to me how many young men today will tell me they have a problem with internet pornography or whatever, but they haven't reduced their access to the internet by getting an old-fashioned flip phone and getting rid of the smartphone. And I'm like, you're actually just lying to yourself, right? So, um, you know, you can take practical steps to flee youthful lust or, or whatever your, your issue is. Uh, you know, this morning, the snooze alarm was more mighty than, my, than me, and uh, it all started with the fact that I didn't get, get to bed until 3.30 or 4. So uh, uh, the, the real battle was lost when I decided to stay up and watch the end of the uh, Game 6 of the American League Championship Series. So, <laughs> so uh, at least as far as getting up early this morning. So uh, let's get into this a little bit. So loving God, uh, there is the first commandment. And when Jesus was asked to summarize the commandments, he actually summarized them with love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm having trouble not wanting to walk around during this. <laughs> so hopefully we'll get a new, new uh, cordless mic by next week. Um, the first commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of, what it gets down to is in this culture, we love everything. You can find bumper stickers, I love my whatever brand of dog you want. Uh, you know, I love my pizza, I love New York City. Um, I love my whatever favorite team, uh, you know, and so forth. And uh, so, you know, part of the problem is that we, uh, you know, we've kind of, kind of trash the word love a little bit and so what what does it actually mean to love God so let's just uh so again I only have about two minutes for category so loving God includes some things like if you love me you'll keep my commandments you know we think of love as is uh being man made manifest in how intensely we worship or whether we lift our hands or shout or whatever all, all that's great the Bible tells us to lift our hands in numerous places but loving God, uh, you know, Peter, do you love me? You know, so involves, first of all, keeping his commandments. Loving God involves being fruitful uh, in terms of reproducing uh, the life of Christ into others. Loving God involves loving uh, the people that God's put, put us in church with. Loving all Christians on one level, but especially the Christians we're committed to in our local uh, body. How are we loving them? How are we serving them? So in 1 John, it says that we know we've passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. So if somebody tells me so-and-so is really spiritual, I always, I always say, oh, good. Who are they spiritual with? Uh, because you can't be spiritual by yourself. It's a lot easier to be spiritual by yourself. You know, I feel very spiritual alone in my study, you know, reading and speaking in tongues and worshiping and crying over the lost or whatever. Uh, not so spiritual, uh, you know, hanging, you know, sometimes when we're working together on various things. So um, th those are some important things. And of course, loving God, uh, with all your Jesus added to the Deuteronomy quotation from from uh, from Moses, Jesus added, "Love God." With instead of just saying your soul, he had added your mind. And uh, one of the, one of the particular reasons for that 
is you can't love God unless you love him with your whole being. And that includes your mind. So, you know, people will always say, I'm not a reader of books. Well, he's called the word of God. And I was not a reader of books in the five or six years before I became a Christian. And I, I've always struggled with uh, practical <clears throat> uh, responsibilities of, of raising a family, of church, of vocation. Uh, always, uh, you know, mean that you might not study as much as you want. But in, in real battles, in real life, you just don't give in to, oh, well, I can't study as much as I want, so I won't study at all. <clears throat> that's, that's the tendency some of us have. And you can't love God without loving to study his word and, uh, and other books that will challenge, uh, especially your paradigms about scripture. You know, the books we choose in our uh, foundational book list and in our intermediate book list uh, comes, are, are designed to give you, to make you think on a hermeneutical level. In other words, how do I properly get the right message out of scripture? Um, secondly, grace upon grace versus performance base. Uh, I like to uh, joke that I was brought up, and I'll, I'll not say the name of the uh, denomination, but I was brought up in a certain denomination. I can feel guilty about anything. Uh, I was brought up in a very performance-based Christianity. Lots of Christianity, lots of versions of Christianity out there are very performance-based. And you know, the Christian life begins with God choosing you despite yourself. There was nothing good in you that he chose you for. And you, uh, he acted in such a way, it's a, it's a thing in philosophy or in theology called monergism. He acted, ergo, ergonomics or whatever, he, act, he acted upon you in such a way that he liberated your will, which was bound to run from God, and gave you the grace to, to choose him. Uh, you chose him freely because he, freely because he caused you to. <laughs> and so uh, he, that's why Jesus says in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. But he goes beyond choosing us, and he equips and empowers us to be Christ-like and to bring his redemption into every sphere of life. We have a saying here in Grace Christian Fellowship, maturity is to be redemptive in every situation. So thirdly is the church. Uh, it has been well said that current evangelical Christianity has no ecclesiology. You, the church is sort of an afterthought. You attend a church. You go to a church. You choose a church. But guess what? You didn't choose Jesus, and he actually chooses your church. And so um, now he does that by opening up your eyes and your heart to be in, in causing circumstances to, to bring you into the people he wants you to be part of. But uh, the church is, is such a huge factor, and it's thought of as an afterthought today. 
But the Bible says in Proverbs, he who dwells with the wise will be wise. And that's an algebraic equation. So he who dwells with X will be X, right, Alyssa Ferguson? <laughs> I've got to throw a little math in there. Um, he, he who dwells with X will be X. And so you can change X. He who dwells with fools will be a fool. He who dwells with lukewarm Christians will be a lukewarm Christian. He who dwells with misguided Christians will be a misguided Christian. Uh, there's no more important decision after whether you'll walk with Jesus or not than who you're going to walk with Jesus with. Because that will determine so many outcomes in terms of your walk with God. So the church uh, involves everything from the Lord's Day is the beginning of our work, our week together as a community, uh, to, to reclaiming discipleship. Most Christian groups today do not offer any kind of personal mentoring or discipleship when that's obviously the only biblical pattern for how to grow Christians. Yet it's, it's you know, I often say Jesus' methods are not, have not been tried and found wanting by the modern church, Jesus' methods have not been tried. Which is, which is actually a true statement. It's not an exaggeration. Where you do find some discipleship is usually parachurch groups like high school or college outreaches. And you find only an informational discipleship, not a formational or impartational discipleship. Uh, leadership. How do we produce leadership? Do we send them to cemeteries? I mean, seminaries. Uh, you know, is that the... Now, I'm all for getting an education. I'm all for getting uh, some recognition of your education. We've encouraged various leaders in our church to get master's degrees and, and so forth. However, not in such a way that you just take someone outside the everyday life of the church into some academic setting and then you assume because they mastered a certain body of information and they have a certificate or a d diploma to to uh, acknowledge that that they're ready for some kind of leadership you'll know them by their fruits what i always do when i sense that the, someone has uh leadership potential is I put them in charge of a vision that has nothing except uh, the possibility of becoming fruitful. There's nothing there to start with. Let's see what the Lord will do through you in terms of building this or that. Fifthly, the Word of God. Those of you who went through the right state version of this know I spent a whole year on that. In the Word of God, we're not just uh, going after uh, read your Bible more but read your Bible more effectively, more fruitfully. Things like learning how to see Christ in all of Scripture. Uh, we have a saying in this church, the apostolic hermeneutic is both correct and Christocentric. And, uh, and so we mean by that correct, it's the right approach to Scripture. So let's see, always study, how did the apostles use the Old Testament when they were writing the New Testament? And you'll find that their approach was quite Christocentric. That is, they, they learned to see Jesus everywhere. So um, another, another very important idea is, is the fact that books of the Bible were written as whole books. We tend to have a preconceived systematic theology in modern Christianity 
and then some proof text we slap on to prove our point about prayer or worship or whatever, instead of understanding that all of Matthew has a unified message. You know, I, uh, I, I don't think in a literature class, if the professor got up and said, let's turn to, uh, let's get out your copy of Pride and Prejudice and look at uh, chapter four of Jane Austen's, uh, what's one of her, uh, more, well, Pride and Prejudice, we already mentioned. So let's go to chapter four of Pride and Prejudice and let's look at this line by Darcy. And uh, boy, wasn't that a good studying of the book today? <laughs> you know, let's move on to another book. Uh, you know, uh, you, you have to look at the whole book. Character development, plot development. Uh, is there an underlying theme? You know, uh, I remember I, my favorite author is a very anti-Christian communistic guy named John Steinbeck. Of course, he's passed away. All the good people are, always did. But uh, <laughs> no, that's not necessarily true. <clears throat> but uh, uh, John Steinbeck is so communistic, there's actually a monument to him in, Re in the former Red Square in what was Leningrad, which is probably now back to St. Petersburg or something. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I like John Steinbeck so much that lots of the depressing books he wrote, like Of Mice and Men and The Pearl, I read more than once, let's just say that. I read The Grapes of Wrath three times. And I took a class on, and, uh, that the main book, it was a class on American literature in general, but the main book uh, that they focused on was John Steinbeck. And so I've read lots of articles about the book. And one of my favorite articles was an article uh, about the anti-Christian biases in the, in the grape, Grapes of Wrath. And it was very enlightening about Steinbeck's uh, deliberate denigration of Christianity and of the Christianity of the people he called Okies, the, uh, the people who were being forced by the Dust Bowl to, to <clears throat> sell their farms or leave their farms and go to California to try to, try to feed their families and so forth. And so, um, you know, the ca character Jim Casey has the initials JC uh, on purpose, and he's a preacher, and he uh, is constantly... Um, uh, well, let's just to say not not behaving as a Christian. You can read the book for yourself. The that part of the book's a little bit more like somewhere between R and X rated. So we'll, we'll leave that out. So anyway, uh, leadership. How how do we produce leaders? How do we reproduce leaders? What do we expect leaders to do? So often when I'm meeting with someone, I I will usually sometimes I do this on my first meeting nowadays. But I always do it by the, at least the third meeting that I have with somebody. I, t I ask them, how often has a biblically qualified pastor actually sat down and spent time talking about your life, talking about the gospel, uh, talking about growing in Christ, uh, talking about how to study the Bible? Uh, how often have you done lunch together or painted someone's fence together or over what or gone for a walk on the bike path together uh you know uh and so often people will tell me in the second or third time i've met with them that no pastor has ever spent as much time as i have with them and i'm like what are we talking about here 
quite clearly, Mark 3, 14, Jesus appointed the 12 that they might be with him. The biblical uh, view of how to reproduce leaders always involves an older Christian spending time with a younger Christian. It always involves that. And it's, it's the pattern. It's the model. Now, there's a place for, one of the things I often do is I'll, um, after a certain amount of time with people, I'll, I'll kind of put the ball in their court. Like, in other words, uh, we'll get together if you ask for the meeting. And the reason for that is, is quite important because if you uh, take the initiative to try to disciple someone, it, it's actually so, uh, A, you're, you're developing too much passivity in seeking out the things of God in the person you're trying to help. Uh, and overcoming passivity in terms of how we seek God is one of the most important points of, of, of growing in Christ, Christian character. Uh, and secondly, if you're just laying, you know, you get together with the person and you lay all these Bible studies on them, there's just too much uh, room for too, too many negative things of manipulation or control or whatever. Uh, you know, a person, you know, the, the Bible says that the, from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men enter it by force. And so uh, it's so important that one of the things you're helping people with is that they would become aggressive, assertive, go, go after. Because there's quite a few sins, including our, the sin of our flesh, uh, the, you know, the, the appetites of the flesh in, in all sorts of areas, unforgiveness, bitterness. You won't overcome those areas unless you're quite uh, assertive and intentional about doing them. And so if your approach uh, to relationships is, you know, you, 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 it's, it's kind of a proven fact that people think that they put in about 80% of the effort to put in relationships. And people who are waiting for someone to build a relationship with you never get there. Uh, you have to take the initiative in building relationships. So leadership, uh, there's all kinds of things we could say about this. We're going to look at things like New Testament leadership is descriptive, not prescriptive. That'll mean something to you if it doesn't already. And uh, that, uh, that leadership is, the, is one of the ultimate gifts of Christ in his church. And he distributes it. None of us have all five of the, with our, of the fivefold ministry or all seven of what I call the seven ministry gifts working in us. But um, I have to get rid of this coffee because I'm. Uh, so uh, the Word of God. Uh, thank you. Just said it right there. The Word of God has so many uh, issues in terms of our approaches and so forth. Looking for major themes, so forth. I kind of kept going back and forth between the leadership and Word of God. It wasn't too organized there. I'm actually. Um, and I, is there any way we could get the heat down some too? Because I mean, I'm so hot. I'm I really I'm sweating badly. And maybe put the fans on or something. Um, so oh, I can't I can't sit down because I don't have a cordless mic. Um, The kingdom of God is the next thing, and we're running out of time, so I'm going to have to be even briefer on these points. 
The kingdom of God, the average person, if they hear that phrase, probably thinks, I think, in terms of something to do with going to heaven. One of the ways we've reduced the gospel, if we've reduced the gospel as being delivered from hell and punching a ticket to heaven, which is not a main point in the gospel. It's a byproduct. Uh, it's an important byproduct. However, what the, Lord, what the gospel delivers us from is our sin and our sin nature, and it delivers us into a restored relationship with our creator, and we are, have no possibility of ever uh, be, being fulfilled, um, having a purpose worth living for, or anything else outside a, a relationship with our creator. You were made to know him and love him. And so uh, the kingdom of God has to do with bringing the, the, the reign of God as perfectly as it is in heaven into the earth. So um, the gospel of the kingdom uh, that versus reductionist views, some of our views are neo-gnostic. Some of our views are antinomian. Uh, all of that will mean something by the time to you, if it doesn't already, by the time we get to that. Uh, we've already touched on biblically complete conversions, but uh, there, was, there were five steps that Christians took at the beginning of their Christian life in the New Testament. Most uh, American Christians have taken two of those steps and whether they actually took step one, receiving Christ as Lord and Master and Savior uh, uh, as completely as, as could be, or whether they've understood the greatness of God or the depth of their sin uh, or any of those things, that's quite questionable to begin with. Uh, you know, some, some would benefit from a more covenantal ceremonial understanding of water baptism. But when it comes to being baptized in the, in the Holy Spirit, the majority of American Christians don't even know about that. When it comes to deliverance and healing, it's actually become part of Grace Christian Fellowship's culture, unfortunately, where lots of people who get baptized in the Spirit never really uh, press into getting fully delivered, and lots of people could use a deliverance session. That's something I've been very aware of these last several months is like, wow, there's a lot of people who really never took that step of reading the books, you know, and, and I and you know what? I, I don't want to cut call, uh, corners. I'll act, a lot of people will say, well, gee, I need some deliverance. And I'll say, well, have you done the, the steps we ask you to do, which are there's four books we ask you to read on deliverance. One is called Pigs in the Parlor by Frank and Ida May Hammond. One is called uh, They Expel Demons by Derek Prince. And the other one is called Deliverance from Evil Spirits by Francis J. McNutt. Uh, and then there's a book about uh, true and false forgiveness or unforgiveness by R.T. Kendall called Total Forgiveness Experience. And there's two, two books, one's Total Experience something and the other one's total experience, total forgiveness experience. And the experience book is more of a workbook, so you can kind of examine: Have I worked through the forgiving all the people that I need to forgive? Uh, that that's actually something that's an exercise that will change your your whole way of life. 
Unforgiveness uh, will hold you back uh, just as much as pride will. And usually they're quite related. So anyway, the whole idea of biblically complete conversions and uh, discipleship. Are you a follower of Christ in, a, in all the definitions of what discipleship means? Uh, oh. So I got to really keep going. Uh, biblical worship. Oh, prioritizing the, the ministry, person, and activity of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we've had a tendency to experience in Grace Christian Fellowship is lots of people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit who haven't gone on to learn how to stay filled with the Spirit and live a life led by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. If the Spirit of God is not giving you insights in your job and in your housemaking and whatever, that's problematic. I, you know, when I spent uh, 12, well, really uh, 12 years full-time and then another nine years part-time in the, doing equipment financing. And by the grace of God, I was able to do quite well and averaged 110 to 120,000 a year in income, which involved a lot of sales and so forth. And I, I would say the majority of the sales the Lord helped me make, uh, I would not have made uh, those sales had... Uh, uh, had not the Holy Spirit given me insights into what to ask the person or say to the person or what, what was the next thing to do and so forth. I would be totally unable to be a pastor without the dynamic ministry of the Holy Spirit involved in meetings. And one of the things that's, that's so obvious, uh, recently I've been, you know, uh, having uh, Bible studies with a number of people about the baptism in the Spirit, and one of the, the, my favorite one has been Lourdes because she's already so filled with the Spirit that there's just such a flow of the Spirit when you're talking and stuff, which makes life easy. Like, if everybody stayed filled with the Spirit, my job would be so much easier. <laughs> so, so I want you to get filled with the Spirit and stay filled with the Spirit and learn how to be led by the Spirit uh, so I can watch more college football. <laughs> so... Uh, um, no selfish motives here. Now, all kidding aside, it's uh, and then just moving into uh, experiencing regularly the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, the, the the people who've been coming to Friday Night Fellowship are making some huge progress there, and really that's something we've lacked behind in a church, as a church uh, compared to uh, any other church I've been involved with. So, or at least in terms of leadership. Um, Biblical worship, uh, there's a lot could be said there. Worship is way more than singing songs. And things like the journey into worship, from the journey from uh, the solical realm to the spiritual, the journey into the presence of God. Um, there, there's just all kinds of things we could learn about worship. Uh, effective prayer, you know, it really gets down to are there prayers that God answers? Sometimes God just answers your prayers on very simple things because he's very kind. You know, I was really struggling with some discouragement this week, and I was on a bike ride, 
and I saw a chipmunk, and I loved seeing all the animals, but especially the chipmunks, because they're, you know, there's lots of squirrels, but there's less chipmunks you see on the bike path. And so I had seen uh, what happens to me a lot. I had seen two chipmunks, and I actually prayed and said, Lord, uh, it would be so neat to have a three-chipmunk bike ride. <laughs> and it, you don't think God cares about little stuff like that. Um, it, apparently, it's easier to have faith for. I've also prayed that God would restore my hair. No, I'm just, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, right after I prayed that, I saw a, chip, a chipmunk. And then uh, another lap later, about, I don't know, 20 minutes later, half hour later, I was uh, still riding and I was thinking, would it be too much to ask to see a fourth chipmunk today? And, and uh, right after I prayed that, I saw a fourth chipmunk. And uh, the, my record had been two. So now I have to see five chipmunks to, see, to break the record. Uh, you know, God actually cares. Like, one of the signs of God's favor in your life is that he starts to answer your prayers. And uh, sometimes the prayers that God answers are quite amazing. You know, sometimes uh, when I'm praying for people and I'm trying to help people come to Christ and so forth, God totally amazes us sometimes because the person you least expected would actually have a breakthrough and grow in the Lord and do well. They, they're the ones that do well. Because uh, God can do whatever he pleases, and he's so, uh, he's so willing to, to answer our prayers. Uh, the Great Commission, uh, which is, uh, we'll see how that's related to the cultural mandate here eventually. And uh, some, some people have gone so far as to call the Great Commission the Great Omission. Uh, because here we are 2,000 years later, and probably a third of the world's population li live outside the reach of any effective church. And uh, there's a lot more to be done to fulfill the Great Commission. So, and frankly, we're living now in an increasingly pagan culture here in America where uh, what I've been surprised about uh, in sharing the gospel at places like Wright State Campus is uh, it compared to how where people were at in our culture in the 1970s and the 1980s um, more people have pre have already made up their minds against christ and christianity with a lot less knowledge about why it's just a totally subjective gut level uh reasoning and they've they're they're actually quite hostile to christ the gospel and so forth but they have no knowledge of what the, the Christ and the gospel are about. Uh, and, and one of the crazy phenomena of our day is the most evangelical Christians who've come to our church have known very little about God, the, the Bible, the gospel. Very little. And some people who are... Uh, outwardly pretty zealous actually know very little about God and the Bible and so forth, partly because no one's ever discipled them. So uh, church planning, I uh, have never been a part of a denominational church since I became a Christian, except for during some years we were out of the ministry, we decided to be a part of an Assemblies of God church because of, of all, they're the, the, by far the largest Protestant denomination. 
Uh, they're the ones who started Christian Life Center and Bethel Christian Assembly and so forth. In fact, Bethel Christian Assembly was the first Pentecostal church in the Dayton area, start, dating back to 1919. And uh, a lot of great things happened in 1919, the first flu epidemic. The, uh, the Chicago Black Sox World Series and so forth. But uh, the end of World War uh, One. A lot of big things happened in 1990, but um, very important year. But one of them was Bethel Christian Assembly became the first Pentecostal church in Dayton, and they have actually put up the funds to, to start Christian Life Center and every other church, that every other Assemblies of God church in the Dayton area. And I'm quite good friends with an Assemblies of God pastor in Miamisburg, who I love dearly, and, and of course, Pastor Brown at Bethel. Uh, what I always said, if we ever spend any time in a denomination, it would be the Assemblies of God, because the Assemblies of God plants 14,000 churches in the world uh, uh, per year on the average. So that's pretty amazing. Um, believe me, the, the earth is bigger than we think. Stewardship, stewardship we think of finances, but stewardship is more than finances. Stewardship involves your gifts, your calling, your health. Stewardship involves aerobic exercise. Um, whatever. Stewardship involves a lot of things. Raising your kids. You know what? We talk about my son or my daughter or whatever. They don't belong to you. They belong to God. And you've been given a stewardship to raise them, and you will give an account about what kind of husband you are, what kind of father you are, what kind of mother, wife, uh, etc. cetera, uh, because those, those precious children are God's children. And, to, you know, to not read books about how to be a better father or, uh, or whatever is just ridiculous. That it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's it's so stupid. It's hard to believe. So few parents have ever spent much time re-examining their parental skills and and getting some guidance on on how you know how to raise kids. One of the best books that helped me the most in raising my kids was simply because my kids were going to East Dayton Christian School, which is right over there on Spinning Road near where Sam and Amber live. And um, I just happened to decide to go ask Mrs. Hume, who was the, the uh, principal, founder of the school and the principal of the school and the, the wife of the pastor of the little church that sponsors the school. And the school is a much, much bigger ministry than the church is. And I just said, Mrs. Hume, I'd like to be a better father could you recommend some of the best books on, on raising children to me? And one of the books that she uh, recommended to me was by Gary and Greg Smalley, a father and son team, who are both PhDs in psychology, and it was called Bound by Honor. And it totally changed uh, my effectiveness in being a father. Simply because one thing I always do in life is when God puts you in contact with other Christians, don't play the card of what you know, but find out what they know. <laughs> I never let them know that I, that I know about the Bible or anything. I, when I'm with people that I'm not responsible for who don't go to our church, I figure God made this meeting so I could learn something new from this Christian. 
and especially if they're an effective leader in any way, shape, or form. And so I say, hey, t teach me. Recommend some books to me. Give me some guidance because I want to get the best of all sorts of Christian movements. Uh, lastly, the vision for restoration of all things is I'm way past my time, um, but we're getting through all 15. You know, God wants to restore a lot more than individuals. We have turned Western Christianity into a radically individualistic concept. God wants to restore families, churches, communities. God wants to, uh, to address economic systems. God wants to uh, address the stewardship of the earth's resources. God actually wants to bring a significant amount of redemption to every aspect of human life that was damaged by the fall of man, which is everything, not just on planet Earth, but throughout the whole universe. The whole universe was affected by Adam and Eve's sin. And, uh, and Christ came to begin a, a movement to restore all things. And it's a lot bigger than what we're shooting for sometimes. So that's uh, an introduction to the 15 topics we'll be looking at.